You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The mic is hot. The beer is crisp. Let's play the fight song, Paul. Welcome, everybody, to the 3DMs podcast. My name is Jake, joined as usual by Paul. We really need to change our damn branding because there's only two of us. We can't know. find anybody to sit in the third chair all of a sudden. Like, no Clint, one wants it. Clint, why have you Clint, us? Nachos, at least at school, he's got a good excuse. He's got a good excuse. He's, can't even show up to our games anymore. Poor I Nacho. know. Poor bastard. We love you. Um, <laughs> anyways, this You week, got a reason, Nacho. Clint, you don't. Sorry. Yeah. You're, you're on thin fucking ice. <laughs> But I'm so busy, guys. Um, Sorry, Clint. I don't know why I made fun of him like that. That was mean. Moving on. He's got a reason. Anyways. <laughs> Talking about traps. Dungeon ecology. Dungeon ecology. Traps. How to be your best Kevin McAllister. Yeah. All right. Outer Kevin. Let's uh, let's start from the beginning, Paul. Um, once upon a time, a man named Gary Gygax made a game called Dungeons & Dragons. Yep. Um, and part of dungeons are traps. Yeah, I mean – to, to go back a bit, uh, the thing is, is that originally, of course, Dungeons & Dragons was a war game that got converted to a role-playing game. The first role-playing game, in fact, <laughs> as far as I, I'm concerned. In fact, as far as everyone's concerned, what am I talking about? Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is he wanted things that weren't necessarily – had that didn't necessarily have a hit point total and weren't necessarily out to kill you specifically. They were just out to kill everyone generally. Yeah. So you get your general traps, of course, like the Indiana Jones boulder chasing you down a corridor. Yeah. But he also had traps with ridiculous stuff like a bridge covered with uh, holes for kobolds to shoot arrows at you and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, well, the traps are sort of an integral part of the dungeon experience. We're going to go over that today, of course. But if you knew if you knew enemies were coming, wouldn't you booby trap the hell out of your house? Much like Kevin McAllister. Yeah. Except I'm trying to get my Kevin McAllister references up to over 15 today. Um, so far more lethal than Kevin. Yeah. Um, well, so let's let's go into it. Uh, so in the DM's guide, initially they listed uh, for fifth edition, they listed the two types of trap traps as magical and mechanical. Yep. They walked this back a little bit in uh, Xanathar's where they changed everything to either a simple trap or a complex trap. Uh, I am going to, again, change those in the way I like to sort my traps when I'm preparing, um, and that is <laughs> annoying, maim, and murder because I think that's a pretty easy way to sum up what you're trying to have the trap do. I, I would add one more category to that, which is uh, uh, split. 
Yeah. Which is split the party with a, a floor that collapses silently behind you and drops people into a pit or something. Hello in Denmark, Adam Buxton. So um, let's let's go just down like what each one of those are in these lovely little categories we got. Uh, so annoying is going to be something like an alarm or a very low damage. Coats you in. Glitter, Coats magical you. glitter that replicates itself that you that you can't get rid of that you can't wash out or and that's regular glitter we're talking about. This is magical glitter, just twice as annoying. Or impedes progress in some way. Um, you know, makes difficult terrain, makes a lot of noise, scrambles um, your compass. Yeah, you know, it annoys, annoys you. Yeah, it's it's wow. Just, Put them up. I know, right? What an accurate name. It's like we it's like we kind of know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> For a given definition, but definition you know, so I mean, those are those are pretty easy stuff, though. You know, the uh, this is stuff that the average person. I mean, you could probably set up a trap, like you in the audience right now, could probably set up a trap that drops glitter on somebody who steps into it. You room. know, or you know, the uh, uh, string of cans. Yep, that somebody can accidentally kick things of that nature. Um, but the actual, so we're we're just gonna gonna skip over annoying because I think annoying kind of sums itself up. Let's get into MAME. Um, so it's the old uh, adage for landmines, which is that it doesn't need to kill somebody, just make it difficult for them to continue. Exactly. Um, and we'll get we'll get more into that in, when we get to psychology. But the idea behind maiming traps is, you know, something like a bear trap, uh, the old uh, fire blast trap, uh, anything that's going to do significant damage to the party. Um, and then last but not least, uh, murder. I don't think I need to spend too much time summing that up either. That's what does murder trap do? <laughs> that is, uh, exists to solely kill the players. So we're going to dive into the psychology of traps in a proper dungeon or just out in the wild. So, although you have to wonder why somebody set up a spike trap in a ten by ten area of random forest. So we'll we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah. So let's get to psychology. So obviously, when you are designing these traps uh, to implement in your game, you need to put them in rational, sensible locations that would make sense for them to be trapped. Um, if this, uh, this one bear trap in a forest makes sense, you're trying to catch you know a bear, a or bear. something, or if you're you know I don't know uh, trying to catch the most dangerous game, man. Uh, also, I think you mean grizzly boom tennis. Anyways, uh, the point is, is there needs to be a simple, like a base understanding of what is laying the traps and then how these traps will function. Yeah, because um, somebody's got to be resetting them or they'd get triggered by the random rabbit that walks into them. Exactly. So when it comes to, again, planning for traps in your game, the very first thing you want to do is look at what monster is setting these traps. Uh or what enemy is setting these traps. If it's a group of, let's say, dug-in dwarven soldiers who are now setting up traps and fortifications, they're, everything's going to feel very um, dwarfy about it. They're going to... Falling rocks. Falling rocks. Collapsing floors, so on and so forth. You know, things that they can engineer quickly. Um, an elvish-style trap is going to be, you know, it's going to be a lot more arrows. It's going to be maybe a bit more elegant. Um, bear traps. <laughs> bear traps. You elves know, like you, bear traps. Elves do like bear traps. Um, or, you know, something like a falling sword or, you know, something like that, something aesthetically that kind of fits. Uh, so considering your aesthetics is one thing, but let's not worry too much about aesthetics as much as the psychology of placing traps. Yeah. So who who would place a trap? They know an enemy is coming 
and they want to stop them, but they can't patrol the area. Um, really quick, Adam, yes, capture uh, could be considered a MAME trap, and so actually that's what we're about to dive into. Uh, the idea of the idea of a trap is uh, so. Like we discussed before, the idea of landmines and war, and this I got this from a fantastic book called World War Z by Max Brooks, uh, which is a fantastic read if you ever get the chance to read it. Um, but in it, there is a section where a, a fictional general um, goes over how you know the basics of warfare work, and the basics of warfare are this: um, you are trying to make the other side run out of resources before you run out of resources, and so in this um, struggle that you are currently having with your players. Um, Part As we of, all know, Dungeons and Dragons is an adversarial game where your players are greedy, thieving bastards, and you're trying to stop them. That was sarcasm, in case no one picked that up. Um, in the situation where you're trying to make a more memorable dungeon or a more memorable encounter, um, there needs to be a lot of tension. Um, normally, you know, when the players can just breeze through any situation without uh, really threat threat or problem if or, your players never think maybe we should leg it then you're not really uh without harassment fine. they yeah they you know they just kind of like yeah no we just went in there kicked ass and left you know and everybody will have a nice time at the table but they won't really you know it's not going to create a truly memorable encounter um and that's what you want to try to make is stuff that everybody's still talking about you know a month from now a month from now or you or know a year weeks from, from now yeah um traps are a vital part of that experience and as it relates back to that quote I'm about to use, the idea of a landmine is not to kill somebody. It is to waste resources. Yeah, A landmine doesn't necessarily disable one person. It disables two or three people because they have to carry the person home. Yeah. Suddenly you have a player, you have a you know PC who is now uh, injured. They have taken some damage and the party has to consider uh, using very, you know, Limited resources. Yeah, they're very limited resources, spell slots or potions or what have you on trying to put a Band-Aid on this this instance. Um, They also suddenly have to consider, is this a place that we can bunker down um, and get some rest in and either use hit dice to recover or even get a full rest so everybody can get back to full HP? Spoilers. It's not. Yeah. (sighs) So your idea behind a lot of your traps is not necessarily to – yeah, as kill the who player. Who said that we should talk about capture traps again? Um, man named Adam. Adam. Uh, I should point out also that we, we've talked about this. Is uh, when I talk about splitting the party, capturing is a big part of splitting the party, and you should at least consider a trap that drops somebody into a pit or something. Should consider dropping them into a pit, into a cage or something, so that whoever set the trap can interrogate them later and figure out what they want. Because if you kill a random elvish bandit, you don't know if they're an elvish bandit or an elvish commando. So. Until you capture or interrogate somebody, how are you going to know the difference? So I do want to get to – although I actually do love the uh, comical conceit of uh, shoots and ladders style <laughs> trap where somebody just you know falls down and then they're whisked to a completely other part of the dungeon. Um, that can always make for some fun, tense moments where the party frantically tries to get to their comrade who is somewhere else in the uh, – Without just jumping into the trap like a moron. <laughs> yeah. Um. But back to the main point. So effective trap use is going to be um, just a way to kind of uh, (laughs) – yeah, actually. uh, The wall trap in Hellboy is a very good example of splitting the party at them. Um, The idea though is you are going to be trying to get them to waste resources with a trap. Um, Traps need to be used sparingly 
not often. Um, otherwise, this oh will. Oh boy, create... we're gonna check every five feet with a ten foot pole to make sure there's another another fucking spike trap there. Yeah, and uh, you know, to prevent slog, um, because suddenly you know if the players run into one or two traps in rapid succession and they're just kind of you know you just kind of randomly throw them in your map um guess what suddenly they've they're Get afraid of it. everything and your dungeon crawl has literally slowed to a crawl ho ho funny joke i've come up what about uh, all right that's fine um uh, one thing i do want to bring up with that is <laughs> look i know you like traps i like traps as jake told me in our first game and told uh, Andrew's lady friend Paul's an old school dungeon master he likes traps but you shouldn't put them every five feet because somebody has to live there yeah <laughs> uh, we were discussing in the car a couple of real life instances of people who uh, went a little above and beyond with trapping of their own homes because they're yeah, we were talking about this as Every time somebody talks about trapping their own home, the, it ends with, and then they killed themselves with their own traps. Yeah, and then they killed themselves with their own traps. So, you know, if it's uh, a lot, the comparison we were using a lot in the car would be with a lot of goblins, um, you know, so there's hot goblins, goblins suck bears, at fights. Yeah. So they'd like to even the odds with, you know, a trap of some sort. They still want to have a sensible amount of traps. Um, that's going to be more for alerting and more so they can reposition, um, you know, this, you know, like your alarm, your cans, or even something, oh, excuse me, um, that will cause a, enough harm that there would feasibly be a shout or a yell, or you would at least hear the trap going off. This is part one of, you know, like the psychology for placement of traps. It has to be in a place, obviously, where it's going to be of benefit. If it's like some, um, if it's a random trap that is in an area that isn't going to be patrolled or looked at. And you can probably just have the trap try to kill somebody because it's like setting the equivalent of a landmine in an abandoned corridor. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just there just to, you know, kind of fill space. Uh, the actual idea, though, of having things that are going to assist what is lurking in your dungeon or wherever the hell you are placing your traps. Um, we'll talk about dungeons in a couple minutes here. So more like 15, 20 minutes. But, you know, on a but, it, you know, it comes down to placement um, or placing it near where the patrols are going to be, places where enemies are going to hear it, um, basically creating more of a – yeah, basically making it a clusterfuck of a situation for your party. Um, but let's talk about uh, simple and complex traps because I think – eh, We've talked that. about the general idea of traps enough at this point, I think. So, you know, simple traps, you know, pits, bear uh, – Ye old string bear with trap, cans on it. String with cans on it. These are simple ideas. Um, Anyone can set these up with 15. I mean, I wouldn't even, for a player, I wouldn't even require setting, like, a check to set these up. It's just how much effort does it take to really set up a, 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 a bit of fishing line with some cans on it? Yeah. I mean, yes, cans probably don't exist in your setting, but something. Right. But let's talk about um, complex traps. So these complex are Complex traps are the ones that GMs love because they make... <laughs> I don't want to say they make no sense, but they require a very specific – curious of the trap maker thought is advocacy unwitnessed with his own eyes. Yeah. Um, so the idea of a complex trap uh, is more for the like super dungeon uh, kind of a feel. The, this dungeon takes you from level 5 to 20 because your players are never going to say, fuck this and go somewhere else. Well, we'll, we'll talk about Mad Mage when it comes out. Um, <laughs> 
no, but the idea of a complex trap being, um, you know, let's let's just use the very standard. You know, this is the crypt of a you know king Nel-Jazar. or royal or you know somebody who's important, and there are various riches that have been buried with them, and so there is a over the top trap to protect um, the riches, the goods, and the valuables from grave robbers. Was it um, Ramses who had the? trap in his tomb that nearly got some of the archaeologists? I can't remember. I believe it was. But this is where you can kind of have your big, fun, elaborate set piece traps. Um, There's a lot of great examples in the book. I don't think we really need to get into uh, too many uh, over-the-top you know, like lists of this is how you do that and this is how you do this. You can, you know, anywhere you go online to find uh, trap ideas or I, from your books. For the rec- for the record, I highly recommend if you at least want to see a, a, an example of early Dungeons and Dragons psychology, Grimtooth's Traps has <laughs> some fun ones like there's an illusory wall here and when you get batted through it, a kraken eats you. Because <laughs> Lord knows the kraken's just waiting there on the other side for 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to eat you. Hey, this is his nourishment. Um <laughs> Actually, there are a, f- a bunch of really fun ones from that book. It was released in 1981. Yeah. Um, One of the earliest Dungeons Re- & Dragons books ever released. <laughs> uh, oh, definitely. For Dungeons & Dragons. It was for any system. But definitely but, worth know. reading for fantastic ideas. There's like eight of them too is the funny thing. But, <laughs> but we're, we're getting a little off topic. So when it comes to the implementation of uh, Complex Trap, think of it like an encounter for your party. Think yeah. of it and, as and reward a them like a situation encounter too because if people have been killed in this then their stuff is probably still scattered around. Yeah. Um I think well it's you know for me um the end of a dungeon shouldn't always have a big monster fight unless it's an avalanche or something which has been leading you to this entire thing. Yeah, but, there, but that's know, a very specific unless there, yeah, unless there's something that's like layered specifically in the you know heart of this dungeon um you know, the idea that this is the big treasure room, a good replacement for a, you know, another combat encounter would be a big set piece trap um, that is going to require, you know, your players working together in unison to defeat it, not just the rogue like, oh, hang on, don't mind me. I'm just going to get in there with my, uh, you know, some pliers and a little bit of gum and a hammer and I'll have this thing knocked out in about five minutes. Everyone stand 15 feet back because the trap only reaches 10 feet out. Um, one of my favorite traps actually from cinema, um, is in Aladdin when the lamp is taken, um, and you know, suddenly the, uh, what was it? The cave of wonders was something like that. Uh, but the whole cave just falls apart. That is like, (laughs) that's one way to make a dungeon encounter end memorably. Um, and kind of a good final boss is, uh, Having everybody decide how much loot they want to try to run away with really quick. Your greed will be your own downfall. It's like that trap from Dead Money where if you don't run away in time, the gold bars will drag you to your death. Yeah. Um, There's also another – or, you know, you can always have it built up as, uh, you know, once you get into the room, all the riches uh, are going to be yours and finally worth it, you know. Having spent time in it again, I like to I like to compare a lot of stuff to Skyrim because everybody's played Skyrim because you can play it on your damn toaster at this point. Um, I hear they announced it for Apple Watch. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's a joke or not. That's I think the, they actually did. I think the that, that's thing. the sad part. Um, 
but in Skyrim, there's a lot of dungeons where, you know, you've got uh, your Draugr, you know, just kind of meandering about doing Draugr things. And then there is usually some big old set piece uh, trap or thing you have to get past. Uh, like I'm thinking of uh, what's uh, – where do you have to go once the Greybeards send you? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, the horn. Yeah, that's right. Oh. The horn of Jurgen Windcaller. Yeah. Um, you go in there and you have to solve a couple of very interesting traps to uh, go get the horn and then it's revealed that the – Blades already took it because they're dicks. Um, oh, fuck them. I mean, as somebody who's played all of the previous, I mean, all of them, all the previous Elder Scrolls, the blades are nice in most of the games, but the blades in Skyrim are dicks. Yeah. Wow. But um, <laughs> let's get back to traps, though. Uh, okay. Yeah. We've been kind of muddling on it, but the main point is this with uh, complex traps use it in lieu of an encounter, um, reward, reward the players. players as if they complete an encounter. Like, because this is something I, I want to personally. A soapbox about is players should not be only revolved for solving the uh, revolved, rewarded rewarded for solving their problems with murder. Okay, that that should be the last. In fact, I I reward players less usually for solving their problems with murder if they can solve it with uh, what's the word with diplomacy. I reward them more because that's often tricky. Do not reward your players only with killing people. I'm going to re- repeat that again. Do not reward people for killing. All right? All right? Okay. We're good. Let, let's move on. All right. And um, all right. So give people XP for <laughs> completing traps. All right? For not falling for a trap. Give them XP for it. All right? Done. Ooh. Okay. Paul brought to you by Red Bull. Yep. So back to uh, the main meat, though, of complex traps or, I guess, final thoughts on complex traps. Um you know, have it there as just another test of the party's metal. Yeah. Um, I parties are really good at murdering stuff, but they're really bad about suddenly working together to do critical thinking. So be patient um, and try to give them a little time to think about it. Yeah. Because people are not used. To, I mean, your average player is probably very used to positioning and uh, organizing to kill things, but they're probably less position, uh, less, what's the word, organized in. Hey, everybody, we've got to solve a, a Scrabble puzzle. Let's figure that out. Give them – again, this is hey, – hey, GMs, your players are stupid. Uh, give them a bit of time because they're like children. Uh, just, you know, let them have time to, you know uh, – one of my favorite things to do when I spring a big uh, set piece trap like this is I explain how the trap works. I explain what they're seeing and then I usually step out of the room for about 10 minutes or so and let them freely discuss because uh, I've always found that my players think that I am – you know, it, it's a very rational thing for – I run for a lot of very new players and a lot of them uh, very incorrectly assume that I'm going to use any information I overhear them against them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, They've heard too much of the adversarial GM thing. Yeah, which is – it's OK. It's whatever. Um, so I'll usually step out of the room for 10 minutes and I will let them just kind of you know share ideas and freeform, you know, like try to thought it out. And then you know, once I get back, uh, you know, we'll see what they got and you know, how outside the box their ideas are. The best part is when you get back to them, they're entirely wrong. But you don't want to tell them that uh, this trap, which basically requires you to spell a word, doesn't necessarily mean they need to be standing on their heads to do it. <laughs> just let them have their fun you know let the players you know try to figure it out and then try to make their ideas work as best they can um 
you know, if it's if that idea is destined to fail, then yeah, there needs to be a little, you know, like someone should get injured or hurt. But yeah, the from usual it, but, thing, of course, is uh, if a player has an entertaining theory that you didn't think of, let, let it work. I mean, as as somebody who runs a lot of unfortunately complicated plots, I usually have a decent amount of the player's ideas be right because it makes them not only feel good, but it's often better than what you had planned in the first place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's see. Checking back at the list. Um, I guess the final little bit of traps, uh, trap setting that we want to talk about is uh, implementation. Yeah. And um, how to, I guess, what's what's the phrase? I had, a, I had it in my head and now it just popped out of my head. I'm, Do you want me to move on to another topic? I got a couple. Oh, no, 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 no. We got this. Uh, okay. So implementation and the idea of uh, what end game is for traps. Yeah. Basically. Um, your end game still and I, because I, I just want to hit this point again because I think it's very important to know. Um, this is a big part of dungeon ecology. You do want traps are a very major part of it and this is all part of an effort to keep tension. So yeah. You know, if they get past a trap, that's fine. Just try to think that there is going to be logical consequences. If there are sentient things that have set set the trap, um, there might be a patrol moving through. To reset the trap in case it got triggered. Yeah. Or to, hey, what was that noise? You know, uh, Metal Gear Solid style. What was that? Yep. You know, I it, guess it was nothing. Must have been the wind. Must have been the wind. Walk away. Walk away. Um so even if a party gets past a uh, deliberately set trap, make sure that there are consequences for that trap being set. Um, just because they stepped on the pressure plate and they all jumped out of the way of the fireball. Uh, somebody heard the fireball. Somebody though. heard the damn fireball. So when you walk down the hallway, there's five bugbears wait, lying in wait to kill you. Yeah. So um, we'll just <laughs> – with the – Grace of a Swan, we're just going to smoothly segue into now talking about dungeons. Um, All right. You know, it's weird. We've done 36 episodes and yet we never thought to talk about dungeon design. Hey, episode 36, we talked about cities run by dragons. We haven't talked about dungeons in a show about dungeons and dragons. You know, we haven't even done a real dragon episode yet either. Wow. We I was suck. remembering our uh, our episode about world building, and I made a city run by a dragon. Yeah, anyway. no, no, that's fine. Um, okay. Uh, really quick, uh, got a couple of comments. We're going to catch up on them. We're going to talk about dungeon stuff. Uh, Adam agrees with you. Uh, kicking the box. Dan has mentioned uh, best trap I've ever experienced is a dungeon near a kobold tribe that had a uh, spherical room with frictionless walls. Oof, rough. <laughs> and uh, Joshua Campbell asked, do you have a rule of thumb for how many traps and types of traps? Um, it depends on how smart my monsters are. Yeah. I mean, kobolds, obviously, to make the joke about Tucker's kobolds, kobolds should be setting at least four traps in their lair, mostly on the outside. Yeah, if it's like, if I'm, let's say, orcs, um, for an example, uh, orcs aren't exactly known for their uh, smorts. Their mental acuity, if you will. Yeah, um, but... They're going to have at least one or two simple traps, but that's because most orcs believe that they can just, you know, um, beat something in a fight. Beat, yeah, beat something with their, you know, to that death said, with their fists. While they're not smart, they're still probably going to have, like, again, the fishing line with cans attached or a bear trap because they might think they can beat it, but they have to know it's there first. So instead of sentries, they're going to have those in some places where the sentries can't watch. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, I hope that sums it up pretty well for you, Josh. But long story short, it's I would say if you if you have if you have no idea, maybe two traps. I mean, if you don't have a rogue or other character skilled in detecting and disarming traps, I'd say one to three. Yeah, because at that uh, point you are just punishing the party for not having a rogue. Yeah, this is even obvi- more obvious in previous editions where. I remember in third edition specifically, uh, only rogues could disarm traps beyond a certain level, which is just kind of bullshit, honestly. But so, don't have too many unless the the species is particularly known for setting traps. But you should have enough to remind players that traps exist. Okay, and uh, Isaiah, we are about to get to your comment in a moment when we're talking about overall dungeon design. So we're going to get back to that. Um, all right, now back to dungeon work. Uh, so, boom, um, I'm going to be very Upfront, very honest right now uh, when I talk about dungeons. Um, my dungeons are never, ever, ever the old school underground, um, a bunch of shit in various tunnels under the ground. I don't like to run dungeons like that. I find that boring. But I do like the spirit of dungeons in um, spaces that aren't like classically considered a dungeon. Uh, we were having this conversation in the car. Um one of my favorite things to do is actually use the old uh, ghost town ideal. Silent Hill style. Yeah, Silent Hill style. Um, you know, have a deserted ghost town or if uh, one of my favorite locations to go is the Feywild. Yeah. And just have a meandering, a twisting, you know, maze of woods and forests, you know, maybe made by some pixies. Things that, you know are both, A, a more, I feel, interesting location than, because everybody's played Skyrim, everybody's played, uh, you know, a lot of people have played, like, Neverwinter Nights and stuff, and it's... That's an old reference, by the way. That's 2003, I think. Yeah. I well, recommend it, by the way. It's still a good game, but... Um, but a lot of people have played games get where... Good old games. Yeah. A lot of people have, you know, been in a location, um, you know, that is very, you know, in video games or what have you, where they're underground, there's chests everywhere random chests random yeah random chests random traps um good yeah. excuse for a mimic by the way yeah uh, i i prefer to try to set my stuff in more interesting robust locations and then you know do general dungeon design around it but just don't call it a dungeon i was going to say that in my most recent couple of games um, I actually use catacombs pretty frequently because a lot of old cities have catacombs that are sprawling and – like Paris has these incredibly bizarre and winding underground tunnels that a modern-day adventure adventuring party could go to. But I use catacombs, sewers, and specifically – I don't want to say dungeons, but the basements of large buildings can all be used as dungeons. But a- as Jake said – you can use winding forest. You can use uh, – what's the word? Tangled halls of an abandoned building. You can use a haunted ship is one of my personal favorites. But. Yeah. Um, they In uh, the last adventure uh, that Wizards released, the uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, uh, most of the villain's lairs are – you know, definitely not what you would consider a uh, you know a classic dungeon, but they all function very much in a dungeon style way. My favorite would be uh, Jarl Axel's uh, boat and submarine underneath. Um, you know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff on both his boat and in the submarine, and you know, it flows and works in the style of a dungeon, but it's not just a your ye old standard um, underground box to be yeah. walking around in. So. I mean, that's just, uh, 
you know, a tip for me that I really like to throw out there to people is, uh, you know, anything can be a dungeon. It just, you know, it needs to have multiple rooms. It needs to be isolated. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to make stuff into a dungeon, but I like to use different locales just to spice it up, jazz it up a little bit. Um, one of my favorite things about doing like the ghost town thing is again, um, people can just walk into random houses and like try to either figure out what happened there or, you know, try to see what mystery is happening and or steal anything valuable or steal all the silverware that they got as, you know, part of their <laughs> wedding. You know, it's, um, <laughs> you know, steal the wedding dress, you know, Shit like that. Shit players do. A half-orc uh, barbarian putting on the wedding dress. Look at me. I am the prettiest now. I am the prettiest bride. Um, God bless half-orcs. Uh, so when it comes to designing, um, a big part of your prep for designing a dungeon um, needs to make sure that it actually feels like a either a lived-in or uh, – no, not a lived-in. What's the best way to put it? Um, that the space is being – used in a way somebody is here. that organic um well so what i mean by that is um like if it's let's say it's a catacomb all right right like that you're a fan of um you know it's going to have a very understandable symmetrical layout um you know if we're going with like the uh the somebody sewers of paris it. yeah it um the sewers of paris it has a practical purpose as being a damn sewer so it is designed to be um as efficient as, you know, its designers could make. Efficient, I should say. It's obviously not efficient anymore, but. Well, yeah, but still, the idea was when it was designed, it was, you know, there's some symmetry use there. It's designed to, you know, be efficient. It should not just be a series of room into next room, into next room, into next room, into next room. Elemental next to a dire bore. We'll get to monsters. But there needs to be thought logic and reason um back to my ghost town bullshit that i love so much um you know it would make sense for there's a main street there would be the shops that you would see on the main street there's your inn there's you know the butcher the baker the candlestick maker um and then the other candlestick maker that nobody goes to because the first candlestick maker makes much better candles um and from chandler yeah um you know, so there's all the sensible stuff on, you know, the main street and then everything off the drag. Um, so just try to think about, like, whatever you're using as your inspiration or whatever How you are. How is somebody using this space? Turning it into a dungeon. Just make sure that it fits logic and sense unless you're, of course, going for – every rule can be broken and if you're going for something illogical and, like, madness and that's kind of, like – I mean, if a mad wizard for. is setting up traps, then ignore everything we're saying and just – yeah. Do what you want. But again, traps – and to go back to traps briefly, traps have to make sense as to who is using them. I mean if somebody's living in the space, why are they going to set up a, a 10 by 10 spike trap in this random location? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that brings us to loot and also a very good point that we made earlier because um, you told me in the car you recently actually went back and started playing Neverwinter Nights again. Yes. Um, Which is why we brought it up. But. <laughs> and uh, – no, you just I because I, I did actually think it was really funny that a uh, uh, this is one point we almost missed uh, cost cost and design and cost effectiveness of what trap or what item is being used because as uh, you stated the uh, fireball trap that was set yeah, on a chest an impossible is possible level fireball trap to guard one amethyst yeah. in this box so why <laughs> uh, the trap is worth more than what it's guarding. 
Yeah, I. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Who pulled together? Keep it together. What economist designed this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, just following the rules of logic and whatnot. Um, you know, make sure that. You know, like, for example, your goblins, like your broke goblins who are living in the dungeon aren't going to have access to a whole bunch of crazy fireball spells. Now, maybe, you know, if it's a old occupied space and these are old traps that were set beforehand, then they can exist here. But if it's something that it w- looks like it was implemented by the goblins or whatever, um, you know, try to use stuff that would stay at their tech level and their – A dropping f- rock is their tech level. Yeah. Again, a highly complex maze of spikes and gears isn't. Um, <laughs> so, but let's talk about loot for dungeons. Right. Um, we covered the idea of loot in another episode, um, where we were discussing magical items, but, uh, we are going to touch back on a lot of those notes cause I do think they are very crucial to Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Crucial to dungeon design and Dungeons and Dragons. And that is, uh, don't overshower them with loot. <laughs> um, don't Monty haul it. Yeah. So, well, because often what ends up happening is, um, you know, because there, you know, there's either some reward for you know every room or some part of the dungeon or whatever, what have you. Um, every goblin <laughs> nutsack you bring is five gold. That's a bit rough, isn't it? Yeah, that's a bit much. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just bringing the twenty bear asses jokes here. <laughs> but the idea is. Um, Either A, you know, they need to be able to leave some stuff behind. Um, B, if you give them too many potions and wands and items of that nature, like magical items, then either uh, – then A, they're going to be a lot harder to uh, – Deprive of resources. Deprive of resources when it comes to encounter time. And then B, um, they are going to steamroll stuff. Um, I, I read a thing uh, somewhere. It was like a very astute comment on Reddit – um, I wish I remember the person's name. Should have wrote it down for the notes. We'll I look it up later. Well, sorry, guy. But. Yeah, sorry, guy. You would have gotten uh, credit. But the point is this. Whenever you give players magical items, they um, – you know, They look for a way to use them. But uh, uh, go they, on. They, not only do they look for a way to use them, but they become more powerful. Yeah. And so when they get to the point where they have a catch-all, fix-all for every situation because they have too many, too much stuff, um, A, that leads to accounting, which players don't like. B. Some um, players like it, but <laughs> I, I know I'm being uh, what's the word? Not a Debbie Downer, but like a negative Nelly. Or whatever. Yeah, negative Nelly. Um, B. Suddenly, CR challenges become a lot harder to Balance. effectively use on them because it, since they have a way out of damn near every situation, um, it's very difficult to make um, encounters that are supposed to be for, you know, right about where they're at, uh, effective against them because they have ways around all your bullshit. And then, um, third, then you suddenly find yourself having to do basically more and more dangerous stuff to them in order to try to force danger escalation, if you will. Yeah. Um, try to do a better combat or try to get, again, you know, what you're looking for is that, the DM sweet spot is where the players like can see that defeat is very possible, but then they still, you know, I mean, pull it out and they get that victory. You want defeat to be in the back of the players' minds, but I mean, again, this is going to be be me soapboxing, but I don't generally try to kill players. Me neither. But if a, I you want, want them to not know that, if you want 
I mean, you can maybe drop people into negatives. I drop people into negatives quite frequently, actually. But I rarely kill players unless it's dramatically convenient. But you want your players to at least think, I could be killed if I mess this up. Um, so in that whole big, long-winded uh, response, when it comes to loot from your for your dungeons, try to keep it very small, like a very precise list. Um, Who's keeping this and why aren't they selling it? Yeah. Why in a random dungeon is there just a random uh, crate filled with, you know, 800 gold pieces? Um, I mean, obviously, if this is a dragon, throw everything out the window. They're obviously keeping it in a big pile. You know, I mean, there are ways to make sense for different stuff and justifications. But, you know, if it's, again, just a random dungeon that you went in to fight the goblins, then guess what? You don't need that money. You know, that they're they not going to have 800 gold just laying about. And, again, they're not going to have things that – are dramatically more valuable than the stuff they're guarding. Okay. So we covered loot, covered, you know, design ideals. Ecology. So a dungeon is a place that's lived in or at least – I mean if you want to – I've often used – oof, I just cut myself off three times. Anyway, uh, a dungeon is a place that's lived in. Maybe not immediately, not right now, but at some point somebody was here. They either set up traps, they set up some sort of puzzle, or there's somebody still here. I've used in the past uh, tombs and like buried pyramids, so on and so forth, to represent a sort of a – what's the word? Um, nobody's here anymore, but this place used to be lived in and it's still protected by traps as if it was lived in. A dungeon should never just be a linear succession of rooms. It should be like a, a, a combination between apartment complex and workplace, I suppose. Every room should have a purpose, and if it doesn't have a purpose, it should be used for storage. Does that make sense? Yes. That is sensible. That makes sense. Um, so the idea of ecology that um, we're talking about, though, there needs to be a balance. Yeah. To all things um, that are going to be in your dungeon because you're going to be trying to test your players in a variety of ways. Yep. Um, you know, traps are a part of the equation. Monsters are a part of the equation. Um, there's now the difference between intelligent monsters and random uh, just, you know, beastie monsters. Wandering monsters. You know, wandering monsters or, you know, little shits that randomly got in. Um I'm a big fan of the, you know, just maybe one or two wild animals that might have gotten in that, you know, maybe the intelligent monsters are just like, oh, I don't want to go near that. Don't want to remove the umber hulks from my kitchen. I just I can't be bothered. So just leave them there, I guess. Well, you know, it's it would make sense. Like, you know, why would they want to go fight a rust monster? <laughs> you know, nobody likes rust monsters. Fuck, yeah, fuck nobody you, likes rust monsters. Next. They're just going to, you know, yeah. They're just going to be like, well, we can, you know, ruin our shitty daggers or we can just kind of leave it alone and leave it over there. Bother. Yeah. So. Rust monsters are the worst. Who thought that was a good idea other than Garrett Gygax? Just, <laughs> that's what I love about uh, rust monsters, though, because that's the only time you will see a fighter jump behind the wizard. <laughs> that is exactly why I love rust monsters so much. Um, but the idea, though, is, you know. Make sure that there is a fair, safe balance of everything that is going to be in the dungeon. You know, you want the right amount of traps for the amount of people that are in there. You want the right amount of monsters. Um, you can have a shit ton of, again, we'll keep using goblins. You can have a bunch of goblins in there just as long as the players are very aware of what they're getting into. Like, if they know there's 30 or 40 goblins in this dungeon, 
Um, you know, they learn this by, you know, uh, survival checks or uh, perception checks and other ways to, you know, discern information in the game. Then, and they're still fine with the course of action of venturing into the dungeon, even though they know they are wildly outnumbered. Then, I mean, goblins are kind of shitty fighters. Your average wizard can probably punch a goblin to death. But. Well, I'm I'm talking I'm, I'm in goblinoids in general. So like bugbears, hobgoblins, hobgoblins, hobgoblins will punch your wizards to death if you're not yeah, careful. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the idea though is just to again make sure that the players are informed about what's down there, and you can, you know, you can build it however the hell you want. It's your damn dungeon, not mine. Um, Again, if you want, just ignore everything we're saying. We're not your mother. We're not your instructor. We're just trying to give advice. Um, let's talk about flow. I'm going to sum up briefly our discussion. We had a, at least a 15-minute discussion about this, but at the end of the day, you can use traps all you want, but if it ends with your players poking everything with a 10-foot pole and checking every five square meters for traps, you are doing something wrong. I'm sorry. You are doing something wrong if your players are interrupting the flow of the game in order to check because you've used too many goddamn traps. Yeah. Not only that, though, um, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but it should feel like there should be a rational feeling to a dungeon. Explanation, if you will. Yeah. There shouldn't, like, it shouldn't just be walk into one room, encounter, walk into next room, encounter, walk into next room, encounter. Yeah, the joke that's often used is... Again, a dire boar in a room next to an elemental. Why are either of those there? Yeah. You know, make sure the stuff makes sense and it's supposed to be there. But also, to you know, there's not going to be – if there's something in a room and there's a reason for a monster to be there, then put that monster there. If, you know, you want a boule in your dungeon, well, boules are tunnelers. So they, uh, you know – They're there. What are you going to do about you it? You know, yeah, you open a door and congratulations. One has burrowed in from the outside and you just walked into a boule lair without even knowing it. Woot. You know, what shouldn't be down there is, you know, why is there a random in broom closet number five? Why is there a uh, Gorgon? <laughs> Look, she's just trying to get some time away from all her admirers. No, I'm talking about the metal bowl that breathes. Uh, oh, right. I poison. forgot because yeah, there's two different things named Gorgon. Yeah, because they don't call it. They call all mythological Gorgons Medusas. That's by the fact that that's some lady's name rather than her species name. It's like eh, calling, whatever. It's like calling every human Ted's. <laughs> Actually, that's a great idea. <laughs> We're calling all humans Ted's from here on out. Yep. All right. All right. Um, all right. Bet. So, uh, but when it you know comes to flow, make sure there is you know just apply a little logic and try to pass your own bullshit test. If you can pass your own bullshit test, then if go you can for it. Explain why are they here? Then you're probably are okay already. Well, you don't need to listen to us telling you. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about slog. Because the problem with uh, some dungeons, because it is a, you know, it is a series of encounters, either role play or social um, encounters, along with combat encounters, trap encounters. You know, every every flavor of the usual encounter is available in this Baskin Robbins of pain. So how do you prevent players from you know getting a little burnt out by it? Because again, how do you prevent the ten foot poles and checking every five square feet for traps? Yeah, because not gonna lie, some players love this shit. There are players I've had who are, it's my jam, honestly. Yeah, they want to go to a dungeon. I personally don't like when I'm a player. I don't like dungeons that much because I'm just like, there's gonna be traps. There's gonna be this. There's gonna be that. There's gonna be. Let's just get in, stab everything, get out. Yeah. So, how do you uh, prevent things from getting bogged down, if you will? Don't use too many traps. Don't use too many traps. Um, 
you can keep a fair amount of tension by simply making random noises is my personal favorite is instead make people make perception checks and if they pass have them hear a random noise which doesn't mean anything but it keeps people on their toes certainly you know um patrolling goblins and things like that this can this is all stuff that like would make sense to happen but at the same time can really slow your game down so um i mean part of monsters is another big thing Uh, sorry to interrupt but a wandering monster is a fun thing one time, but if you're using it more than two times, it's just sort of bogging the game down. Well, so here's a couple of things I like to do whenever I'm going to run a dungeon just to keep things kind of moving at a crisp pace and we don't have to keep breaking uh, breaking down the shop and then setting the shop back up, so to speak. Um, I like to do um, – I like to have everybody – before I start a dungeon, I have everybody roll initiative. All right. Um, and then I have my own like initiative pool that I run because I usually know what's in my dungeon. So you know if I if you don't know what's in your dungeon, what the heck are you doing? You're the game master. Yeah, if I'm a you know if I'm a good boy about my prep that day, then I will you know roll as many of those initiatives as I can and just have them available on a separate sheet of paper. So depending on when um, they get involved, but keeping everybody at a initiative order is useful for a couple of reasons. Um, one. You don't have to, you know, every time a new fight breaks out, you don't have to have them, uh, you know, re-roll initiative. Um, <clears throat> two, the other nice part is is uh, because dungeons require a lot of dynamic, you know, uh, focus and players trying and doing different shit. Um, it's the best way just to be like, okay, we're just going to walk through initiative order. You know, all right, Dave, Paladin Dave, you know, what are you doing right now? I'd like to perception check. Cool. All right. Uh, you know, Kylie Rogue, what are you doing? I would like to search for tracks. Okay, go ahead. You know. I'm going to poke every 10-foot square with my 10 by 10 pole. <laughs> there have been times where I've yelled at my players, there's no traps in this hallway. Put the damn poles away. <laughs> Oof. We've only got an hour and a half left to run, so just put the damn poles away. We ain't got time. But what if you're what if you're flying and there's actually a treadmill with spikes on it? I did do that once. Not the, sp- not the spike treadmill thing, but I did tell them there were no traps and that they walked into one. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> uh, I, was anyway. just, I was just messing with them. Though. I was like, and you walk into a bear trap. You said there were no traps. I know. I was just yeah. messing with you because I'm a jerk. Um, but there are other, way, uh, other ways, though, um, to prevent slog uh, other than having pre-rolled initiatives is um, – if you find everybody's taking a little bit too long, it's never a bad idea to break out the mini hourglasses, which is, by the way, every DM, I think, should own, own an hourglass or at least like a set a timer. One thing I do, and this is mostly a personal thing, so for the people on my Friday game, I haven't done this to you yet, but one thing I do do is I set like you have a minute to decide what's going on, and if you're not done by that, they're acting. Yeah. You know, um, so ways to speed up action. I do recommend everybody go to Amazon and just buy like a set of little hourglasses because they're nice little table props too. Yeah. Um, you know, and they got ones that are 30 seconds down. long. They look yeah, 30 nice. seconds long, minute long. You know, great little product to buy. Um, so ha- keep everybody on a timer um, and when it gets to uh, – you know, if, if it's like we talked about before with big complex traps, don't put them on a timer. Let them have all the time they want to try to figure out the puzzle because um, that's basically what a complex trap is. But when it comes to just like standard things like looking around and trying to poke for stuff, try to keep them moving at a brisk pace because I've had dungeons that it's like, oh, sweet. They'll have this one licked in two sessions and then five sessions later we're still in the damn dungeon and, I, you know, I want them to go back to town but they're just, you know – 
I'm having a Vietnam prodded and poking and prodding and, you know, being generally very slow. Okay, I'm done. Um, we got about we got to be out of here in four minutes so that well, the next show can come in and set up. Let me say something briefly. This is not necessarily just a dungeon thing, but if your players are taking too long or something, I would not have more than one session of downtime. And sure, sure, role playing downtime is fun. I often have my players do things in their downtime, but if you're really taking too long, just just hurry things along. I mean, I could have. I <laughs> recently had a scene where. Uh, our Noel Ranger was buying a re- breastplate, but we were running short on time, so I didn't have them role play an entire scene. I just described the thing very quickly so they could buy it. I, I still set flavor in the world and all that, but I didn't need to take an entire scene on describing how the negotiation was going. Yeah. Um, all right. Final thoughts on dungeons and traps. Dungeons are an important part of any Dungeons Dragons adventurer's it's diet. It's in the damn name. <laughs> That said, dragons should almost never be in dungeons. Sorry. I don't make the rules. Anyway, so the, the long and short of it is traps are important, but I would not – unless you're doing it very specifically, I would not make traps too prominent. I have them be more of a, a thing that people are setting up because, again, people live in this dungeon. You don't set up a, a fucking hand grenade on a string in your living room. All right? If you're going to do that, you're going to set it up by the back door or something. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense to me, but yeah. Um, just remember, uh, everything we gave today was advice. Um, much like high end musical theory, uh, every rule can be broken, and probably has a good reason, to and be a very at some good point. reason to be broken. Um, it's all in your imagination. Um, when it comes to traps, keep it light, keep it simple. Um, just remember that they are there to slow players down and burn up resources, unless they're a murder trap. Um. And again, to repeat the murder trap thing is you can, of course, have a dungeon where the entire thing is just traps. The whole Tomb of Ramses thing also exists. Reward your players appropriately. Yeah. Um, you know what? We got through this without talking about the Sphere of Annihilation. We don't need to. Sphere of Annihilation, annihilation in the statue's mouth. Yeah. Uh, Reflex thing- save or instant death. <laughs> 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 oh, that thing is a bag of dicks. We'll, we'll talk about the Tomb of Horrors another day. But long story short is just don't say kill your players for no reason unless it's dramatically appropriate. Yeah. Is it Tomb just, of Horrors where we got Rocks Fall, Everybody Dies? Um, Rocks Fall, Everybody Dies is older than that. But Tomb of Horrors is the one where you have six seconds to escape the uh, the entrance or you die instantly. Yeah. Ugh. All right, guys. Um, this has been our show on uh, Dungeons and Traps because we got to get out of here. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, please head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 3DMs podcast. Um, that's T-H-R-E-E-D-M-S podcast. Uh, give us a like and a follow if you want to hear more from us. Uh, head over to our Twitter, uh, twitter.com 3 underscore DMS underscore pod. Uh, follow us there. Uh, I'm getting better at tweeting esoteric ideas i'm i never use tweeting myself yeah i know you should i'm shit at twitter uh but we're trying uh we got mad mage coming out so we'll try to pick that up next week or next time we do a show we'll probably be review on that and uh we'll see what's coming out from there uh but follow us on social media we'll we post memes and fun stuff um and hopefully we'll have a pretty good idea of what our next show is going to be about probably going to be about mad mage but we'll see what comes out and what shakes loose in the upcoming weeks. Um, we have been 3DM's podcast. Uh, sorry for us being sick and kind of sounding miserable. It's that time of year in Michigan. Uh, 
This show brought to you by Five Hour Energy. Yeah, this show brought to you by alcohol and uh, Five Hour Caffeine. Yeah. Uh, with that, thanks for coming, guys. We had a great time. Um, if you want to listen more to our backlog, uh, we're on Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts. SoundCloud, of course. SoundCloud. Basically everywhere you can get podcasts except for Spotify. Spotify hates us for whatever reason, which is a shame because I pay them money. Um, <laughs> Same. And uh, yeah, that's our show. See you guys two weeks. We love you. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.